lush green trees, a babbling clear brook, elk walking through a field of wildflowers. The forest hasn't looked this great in years. What has changed, you ask? The wolves have come back to town. And managed the ever-growing herbivore populations, allowing for flora and other fauna to flourish. Welcome to VetCast, Veterinary Climate Action and Sustainability Talks, the podcast created by veterinary students at Colorado State University focused on the impacts of climate change on animal health. Hi, I'm Hannah. I'm Maggie. And I'm Clarissa. And today we are going to talk about the topic of wolf reintroduction and their interactions with their ecosystem. We also have the pleasure of speaking with expert canid biologist and ecologist, Dr. Joanna Lambert. When discussing emerging issues in animal health, it can feel sad or hopeless, diminishing coral reefs, endangered species. The story of the wolf, on the other hand, is a beam of hope and inspiration. That's why we chose this topic to share with you. Wolves. They have been integral in creating environmental harmony in the Northwest. The babbling clear brook, elk populations under control, native plant regrowth, and animals thriving in their natural habitat all link back to the presence of the wolf. Wolves are classified as a keystone species. Their presence is vital to maintain the health, structure, and balance of ecosystems. They're like the lions of sub-Saharan Africa, the sharks of the ocean. The environment could collapse without them. So, Dr. Lambert, what happened to the original wolf populations? Um, there's a lot of historical and cultural inertia behind this, right? Um, humans have been here in, in North America for well over 10,000 years, but it wasn't until you know, white settlers from West, primarily Western Europe started showing up in you know, the 1700s, 1800s, early 1900s, that things started to shift in a very dramatic way. Humans and wolves once coexisted in the U.S. by distancing from each other. Then, European colonists came to the U.S. and decreased that space that wolves had to avoid humans. Europeans have been dealing with large-body predators around the Mediterranean and Western Europe for, for centuries and centuries. And they did a pretty good job of extirpating Eurasian brown bear, Eurasian lynx, you know, gray wolves, there were a number, even lions. So um, they hadn't had to deal, humans, you know, white settlers hadn't had to deal with um, the presence of large body predators for some time. And they had a lot of stories surrounding, you know, the relationship of humans with those large bodied predators, right? And not, and we all know the stories of Little Red Riding Hood and the big bad wolf. So you can imagine when these white settlers showed up, in North America, and were once again confronted by wolves and bear and, you know, coyotes, which looked a lot like jackals, which had been killed off, that it was sort of, you know, a shock. The settlers began hunting the wolves' prey populations, like bison, elk, deer, and moose. The wolves no longer had their natural prey prey to hunt, and the domesticated livestock provided new, slow-moving knife prey. Predators in general were viewed as a threat to the American way of life, a threat to manifest destiny. 
um, the, and, and there were concerted efforts on the part of local, state, territorial, and federal uh, agencies to remove predators. To protect their livestock, bounty programs were started to eradicate wolf populations. Wolves were hunted, trapped, and poisoned. These bounties started in the mid-1800s and lasted as late as 1965 in some states. Wolves nearly went extinct. It's thought that before white settlers showed up in North America, that there were upwards of 2 million gray wolves. By the time that white settlers showed, or, you know, by the time uh, people started paying attention to what was happening with wolves, um, there were very, very few of them left. They were the last wolf in, wolves in Yellowstone were killed in the 20s. The last wolves in, um, in Colorado were killed in the 40s, and most of them are gone by the 40s um, throughout much of the U.S. So what happened when wolves disappeared from the Northwest? What came first was lack of predatory population control of ungulates, namely elk, overpopulated the Rockies and consequently overgrazed the upland and riparian areas. This decreases habitat for the countless animals, specifically birds and beavers. And when you remove wolves from the ecosystem, countless other animals time and time again suffer drastically. So how has the presence of wolves impacted the environment? The most striking example is the wolf rear introduction in Yellowstone National Park in 1995. A group of scientists brought a few wolves down from the Canadian Rockies, acclimated them to Yellowstone, and released them in the park. What happened next was incredible. First, wolves consumed the elk, putting selective pressure on their population. If you kind of, you know, sort of winnow down the total abundance of those primary consumers of those herbivores like elk, that gives habitat like like, um, you know, sort of cottonwood, like willow along that live along and um, recruit along rivers. It gives them half a chance to kind of do better, which means there's more microhabitat for other species that are reliant on those plants. Um, other species like songbirds, various passing um, species. And then um, also it's been suggested um, it provides more habitat for beaver. Uh, because they have the stuff that they can they can um, use to create their dams. So there, this is these are the kinds of effects that have been noted most strikingly in the northern range uh, of, of Yellowstone. It's incredible how different animals lower on the food chain thrive as well once wolves are reintroduced to their environment. Something that a lot of people hadn't thought about previously was is all the ecology that takes place around a carcass, right? So um, if you think about the large-bodied mammals like like a, an elk, right? It's not just the you know it's not just wolves that are consuming the the you know the the resources of a of a recently preyed on elk. Um, it's all the it's an entire guild of what we would call scavengers, right? And so, um, and then it's even more than just the scavengers. It's it's what happens, um, you know, once this, even the scavengers have have moved on. All of the you know microbial effects, bacterial effects that are going on, and so a whole kind of body of literature is, is popping up around essentially scavenger guilds in areas um, where there are there is sort of healthy consumption of elk. So scavengers like bald eagles, ravens, crows, magpies, rodents, and more are benefiting from scavenging on wolf kills too. 
even um, grizzly bears are, you know, frequent um, kind of visitors to carcasses that have been consumed by wolves. After 25 years of wolves, Yellowstone is still in its early stages of ecosystem recovery. Nonetheless, wolf reintroduction has shown to be an effective method for passive environmental restoration that can be implemented in other natural wolf habitats as well, like in Colorado. Today, there are about, because of the success of the reintroduction program in uh, Yellowstone or in the greater Yellowstone ecosystem, which includes Yellowstone and parts of Idaho, I mean, the reintroduction to Idaho, there are between, say, 1,800 and 2,000 gray wolves there now. Um, Gray wolves have also, uh, excuse me, wolves in the form of Mexican wolves have been reintroduced into New Mexico and Arizona, and there are about 180 of those. Um, There are in the upper Midwest, Michigan, Minnesota, Um, and Wisconsin, there are roughly 43 to 4,500 gray wolves. So the big question is whether they're going to end up in Colorado as well. And that question has just recently been answered. In November of 2020, Colorado voted on Proposition 114, which is an initiative to reintroduce wolves to the western slope of Colorado. And by a very close margin, the proposition passed. Wolves are coming home to Colorado. This is such exciting news. It'll be inspiring to see Colorado's natural ecosystem begin to restore and flourish like we've seen in Yellowstone following reintroduction. I wonder why this proposition passed with such a small margin though. Dr. Lambert, why is the presence of the wolf such a polarizing topic? You know, people either are really, you know, are really supportive and about, you know, and really have a favorable attitude towards wolves or they don't. Very few people, in my experience, are neutral on the topic. I want to be really careful about um, overgeneralizing, and because I think this plays into the cultural wars that are to varying degrees occurring throughout this country with lots of issues, not just wolves. Um, And that is that it's not the case that all ranchers hate wolves. And it's not the case that all hunters hate wolves, right? Um, Those groups of people are just as diverse as any other. Um, But having said that, there are um, folks that are in both hunting and ranching that are very much opposed to the presence of predators. and it, it, it can become a very, it is a very complicated question, not just because of the fact that wolves do indeed take livestock. It would be um, dishonest to say that wolves do not take livestock. They do. But it's more than just that, right? What is contributing to these conversations is this kind of um, politically charged aspect of wolves, right? Everyone's got an opinion about wolves. And then also of what is going on between this kind of urban and rural discussion more broadly in this country that translates to every aspect of our society. And I think the most important thing for making, for our world to start thinking about coexistence of humans and large body predators on the landscape is for the compassion to go both ways. 
right? That folks that are keen on reintroducing uh, wolves and even grizzly, this is a conversation about reintroducing grizzly bear in different habitat. It was a conversation about reintroducing wolves, uh, sorry, reintroducing um, lynx and wolverines, you know, that, that those folks, the pro-predator people have some compassion about the perspectives of the folks whose voices may not be getting heard in these discussions. And then vice versa, right? That the folks that are very anti-predator, that, you know, just a moment of pause of thinking in a compassionate way about the fact that we need to share landscapes. You also hear centuries worth of mythology painting wolves as evil, the big bad wolf and little red riding hood to name a few. Despite all the fairy tales suggesting otherwise, wolves and humans can and have actually been coexisting for some time now, right? In fact, wolves and humans can coexist very happily. There are wolves that are living around Rome in Italy. There are wolves that, and in fact, there's amazing footage of wolves like going into villages around parts of Italy. Uh, there are wolves in, you know, heavily urbanized areas of different regions of Western Europe. So, um, you know, wolves have all for hundreds of years occupied areas where humans are. And in the upper Midwest, in Minnesota, Wisconsin, and Michigan, there are many, many more millions of people living in those states where there's almost 5,000 wolves living. Um, you know, many more humans living there with a much larger population of wolves than anywhere in the greater Yellowstone ecosystem. That's really interesting, but it would make sense to me that wolves would be able to adapt to the changes humans make to the environment. Actually, you know, that reminds me of a study I recently read that looked at how wolves utilize gravel and paved roads for transportation and actually preferred to use them when they were available. Wow, really? Yeah. The study found that wolves can travel two times faster when using roads, and that they were 3.1 times more likely to travel by gravel road than off-road, which helped them to conserve energy, allowed them to better patrol their territories, and set boundaries better. However, since wolves prefer to travel at night, they might be at an increased risk of getting hit by cars or getting poached. That being said, I definitely think that there are some really interesting impacts that reintroducing wolves can have on the environment, and the interaction between wolves and human creations is super cool. I wonder if having more vegetation and growth of things other than timber could have an impact on the course of wildfires. That's a great point, Clarissa, and it touches on how widespread the effects of wolf reintroduction might be, like impacting other wild animals in their habitat, affecting domesticated animals, and potentially influencing the spread of diseases. Dr. Lambert, what's one public misconception you'd like to clear up about wolves? They are just a, a, a biological species. I've said this already. They're, um, you know, they're neither bad nor good. They are unto themselves, just like any other species on the landscape. Um, all of the stuff that we have around wolves is a human thing, right? Uh, wolves are just trying to make a living like any other, any other species. And I feel like it's our you know, obligation as the species that's transformed this planet um, to recognize that you know, the world is not here just for us. The world is not here just to feed humans or just to service us. 
that you know that all these other species unto themselves have as this is Lambert's perspective has as, has as much right to to you know coexist um, on these landscapes as as the human species. So that's that's where I go with that. That's a beautiful message to share. Thank you. So, what action items can you take to support wolf reintroduction? First, approaching the subject with the understanding that this is a very complex topic with lots of differing opinions. It's important to further educate yourself about its implications, both positive and negative, of wolves in their natural habitat and how their presence drastically affects the flora and fauna around them. I agree with you, Hannah. And I think it's even more important now that the proposition has passed here in Colorado. Yeah, and engage in those tough conversations. Educate yourself and others around you about wolves and the impacts they have on the ecosystem. And don't be afraid to be an advocate for wolves if you feel strongly about it. For more information, check out livingwithwolves.org. Also, find some other resources in our episode notes. Thanks so much for tuning in, and we hope to see you on the western slope of Colorado wolf watching with us in the future. Thanks for joining us on VetCast, Veterinary Climate Action and Sustainability Talks, the podcast created by veterinary students at Colorado State University. To find more resources about this topic and details about each episode, check out the show notes. Thanks and see you next time on VetCast.